America America You are so grand and golden Oh, I wish I was deep in America tonight You know, we kicked this whole season off with Kevin and I think that it's really only controversial because there's so much support for cannabis right now. Like he seems like the outlier, whereas I feel like 10 years ago, he would be more the norm. Yeah, it's really cool to like pot at this point. Totally. It's it's not only, you know, it's no longer the counterculture thing that it used to be. It's now very mainstream. We have elderly people using it for pain management. We have children using it for seizure medication. We have people treating Crohn's disease at all ages. You know, it's a big deal. And what what's interesting in terms of like a tribal slant is that everyone agrees that they need more research, that we need more research. You know, the medical community, Kevin and the anti-crowd, um, people who are just wondering like what they're really purchasing when they walk into a dispensary. You know, everyone's like, yeah, let's find out more about what's going on here for better or for worse. And so I don't know. I mean, Kevin was really interesting because I didn't expect to like him because I just fancied myself super pro-legalization. And yet that was without any real idea of what was going down here. And the more I learned about how the corporate takeover of pot is really the thing that's happening right now, the more sympathy I had for someone like Kevin, who is not saying that people shouldn't be allowed to smoke pot in their homes. He's not saying that that minority communities should be imprisoned. In fact, he's saying exactly the opposite, that they shouldn't be, and there's another way to do it. It's just not legalization. But his big thing is this corporate takeover and the commercialization, which scares me too. And I just never thought about it that way. I think that that is something that is sort of happening under the radar, so to speak. And so the everyday person, at least people that I know, friends of mine, family members, who aren't keyed into the world of finance really don't have any idea about that. What they see is cannabis just booming everywhere. And there is this popular belief that it could be the everyman's industry because it's been sort of this, you know, come together drug that is not a divisive sort of angry drug like alcohol. And um, there's a lot of hope, especially because so many different communities have been sort of you know, wrongfully disenfranchised because of pot too, that there could be people in minority communities who end up becoming entrepreneurs. And um, unfortunately, not everyone knows about what's going on with the corporate takeover and Kevin does. And so it's, it is, you know, it was illuminating to hear his. Well, yeah. And my, you know, I think one thing that is another bridge builder that all the different sort of sub-tribes within cannabis can get down with is social justice. You know, there's a huge push. Like the the biggest push for legalization is really falling down around criminal justice, social justice, equity, all these things that most of us want and believe in. And that was kind of my big question to him. It's like, okay, well, I guess I was just skeptical that he really cared about that. 
But it was very clear that he does. I mean, he was he served in three different White Houses, both Republican and Democrat, as a drug policy advisor, senior advisor to Obama. And he was like, listen, I've been trying to solve this problem in other ways, like through jobs programs and education and creating equity. He's like, changing drug laws does not suddenly end racism. And I was like, man, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. A great fucking point. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, his whole thing about the false dichotomy and the difference between decriminalization and legalization was really interesting. And I think if more people understood the nuance there, they might um, have a more nuanced opinion. I wonder, I, I'm just putting this out here. I have no idea what the answer is. Absolutely. And I don't think we can actually answer this question being two white chicks, but I wonder if, you know, people talking about canna- cannabis legalization. <clears throat> if, you know, it is kind of talked about in the sense that, like, it could end racism. And I wonder what minority communities say to that conversation. Because they're probably, like, I mean, I don't want to assume you what idiots. I would think. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> right. yeah. And Kevin this is, systemic. is saying this, too, you know. But, again, you know, stupid me because I'm not, like, thinking about this all the time and I'm just kind of in my own bubble. I guess— I heard that stuff and I was like, oh yeah, that'd be pretty cool. That sounds good. And right. um Me too. You know, Me too. So that was like really great to hear. Well, yeah. And I mean, there's just there's so many ways to exploit minorities in this country. And legalizing pot obviously isn't gonna end that. And when we look at who is in charge right now and who is thriving and who is um profiting off of cannabis illegal cannabis sales, it's not a bunch of minority communities. It's a bunch of white folks with a bunch of money who already, you know, are coming at this with a leg up. It's huge corporations with a thousand times, a million times the capital. It's, you know, big alcohol, big tobacco. It's really crazy. And then we see, you know, some of the people we're going to talk to later in the season are from minority communities. And, you know, the hurdles to entering this market are vast and huge. And they're, you know, to the tune of like a quarter of a million bucks just to get up and running. And that doesn't even include real estate. You know, that's just like getting licensing, paying some people, getting set up, like buying some equipment, not even everything you need. That's just like an entry fee ticket. So it's not. And furthermore, I mean, even if we like chase this back to sort of like medical legalization, even that costs money. You know, like there are times in my life where I don't know if I could have afforded my medical card. I don't know. It's it's expensive and there's no insurance company, but th- I'm sure that's coming. You know, big pharma and insurance companies are coming. They're going to line up behind venture capital and finance and they're going to be like, all right, well, we want to make money too. So it is really interesting and kind of scary. And um, it doesn't make me want, <laughs> at the same time, I think it's also kind of bullshit that we're even talking that like the conversation is about legalization because I'm not of the mind that anyone should be telling me like what plant that goes in the ground I can or can't use the way I want to. You know, call me crazy, but I do find that, you know, call me, uh, you know, libertarian, but I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't like that. I mean, that. it's interesting because like, what about, I don't know, I'm not sure where I fall on this personally. I need to think about it more, but like, that what about the poppy plant or like what it ex- is for you? Is it just about like it being a plant or is it about just like someone telling you what you're doing inside your house? Like it's, what if I you had like a about, meth lab? 
<laughs> no, I think it's about something that occurs in the natural world yeah. and that I could like grow in my yard. Yeah. That's just to me, I'm like, okay, sorry, big brother, but I'm going to do what I want to do on my property and in my home. Uh, but then you bring up a really interesting point because there's like a safety issue and like the cost to, um, our, our country and just humanity and illness and meth labs and, you know, all the th- addiction. But again, that only becomes prevalent when something's commercialized or sold in a way that exploits addicts and addiction, you know, and part of what scares me the most about the commercialization of anything, but now pot is that it is being sold in like lollipops and gummy bears. And like, what if your kids find that stuff in your cabinet or your, you're like, they could, they could have a really, really traumatic experience because right. of that. And those are, you know, I mean, granted, even like, adults are, adults I mean, adults are, are <laughs> no, totally. No, I've reporters are ending up in the hospital. Yeah. And, um, the part about it, like marketing and packaging things in, in packages that, kids find really attractive. I find that to be really scary, especially because the stuff that they're comprised of doesn't really resemble the flower that people have been smoking for a really long time. And it's highly concentrated. And, you know, like you said, there's a lack of research. So we, most people know about THC, CBD, cannabinoids as like a, you know, a kind of umbrella term, but there's all like hundreds of different things that work in concert in your body and interact with all these different receptors. The endocannabinoid system, right, right. right. There's a whole body of research yes. that we need. So there's a lot of stuff that they don't even really know. They're just kind of making high potency something that will like F you up. And yeah, if it's in a lollipop or a gummy and your kid finds it, like their little brains are not equipped probably to deal with that. And Many adults probably aren't either, to be honest. You know, so especially adults who have been using yeah. all sorts of drugs yeah. since they were very young, yeah. which is a lot of our country. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things that come up here. Um, I did though, like if we bring this back to tribalism, I found it illuminating for myself to end up feeling so much willingness to kind of listen and start to agree on certain points with someone like Kevin who whose TED talk I watched before I interviewed him and he's like and then this I found funny so this opened me up a little bit to it but he was like yeah I was a member of like Berkeley students against pot which is about as popular as France against wine and I'm like okay this guy has a sense of humor at least and you know I think that's one of those things that does break down tribal boundaries and then you back that up with some things that make sense and aren't just coming at it from a this is bad for you. No one should be doing this. It's, you know, it's not a puritanical thing where he's like, this is just bad. I'm judging this as bad. And anyone who associates with it is the same. It's more like, no, there's some real, you know, red flags here. And regardless of where you fall on the issue, like maybe we should slow the train down and just think about how we might approach this new industry a little bit differently than all the other legal drugs that are already on the market, like alcohol and tobacco. And I mean, those numbers, like 400,000 deaths a year just from tobacco and like tobacco associated, you know, things and medical conditions is pretty alarming and very expensive. I know. So that was something I wanted to talk about too in terms of cannabis is that, you know, breaking down what is the stigma around cannabis? Is it that it's a psychoactive drug? Is it that it's been on the black market for 
you know, as long as we can remember in the U.S. Um, because, you know, rec- like he he made the point that you just made. There's two recreate huge, horribly harmful, um, you know, recreational drugs that are illegal and that are huge industries that only, you know, a small percentage of people benefit from, but like public health in general does not benefit from alcohol and drugs I mean, and, and tobacco. And so I think that this is kind of like an interesting territory to be in with cannabis because, you know, it has this one kind of stigma and then, but it's also just a recreational drug in a lot of ways. And so how do we shift to think of it more like alcohol? But in some ways, we're kind of deceiving ourselves with alcohol because alcohol, in a lot of ways, is worse than cannabis in terms of deaths. Yeah. I mean, like, cannabis doesn't really cause death um, unless it's, like, in combination with alcohol, really, and it's, like, a driving accident, you know? But, like, you know, we had an MD say that there's no deaths due to cannabis. You can't OD. Yeah, you can't OD. So Right. And just the way, I mean, just what it does to one in comparison to a lot of other drugs is, you know, pretty nice by all, by most measures, you know, definitely some people tweak out and, but what, what does that mean? They want to be alone? <laughs> like they just, just like, having, they're not starting fights. Like a triple espresso versus some chamomile tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just brought up a couple things that I think are, are worth mentioning. You know, even tobacco wasn't causing harm until it became commercialized and rolled into a cigarette and easy to, and you know, ingest, inhale, whatever. And now we see all these issues with the vape pens and all the shit they're putting in it to make the viscosity so that you can use it in these new devices. And it's the stuff they're adding to it that is actually really harmful and causing death. It's not, you know, it's not the pot. And then again, you know, you see that being taken to other extremes where, now they're talking about isolating yeast compounds and growing the cannabinoids they want to like create some kind of like super product that does exactly what you want it to do, which sounds awesome, but it also sounds like a slippery slope to like something that could be pretty, something that could be a lot different and, and consumed and processed in the body much differently than the plant we know to be weed. I would rather that they focus on like growing a lung or like a liver or something <laughs> like that that could like help someone. <laughs> No shit. In like a really big way. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. So there's a lot going on here. I mean, we've got like, there's the people who are about criminal justice reform. There's the medical field. There's scientists. There's patients who are in pain. Um, there's corporations and venture capitalists who are not all bad, by the way. You know, there's some, there's some really great companies out there and some awesome venture capitalists we spoke to. Um, and then there's just a straight anti-pot crowd who's like, could be any number of things, you know, maybe they're in like a prevention field or maybe they're very religious and, you know, then there's old school stoners and kind of the new wave users, you know, the soccer moms with vape pens, so to speak. Um, so the cultural stuff around it is really interesting because in a way, cannabis is still doing that thing, like bringing um, strange bedfellows together. And yet at the same time, you know, we heard from, well, I remember talking to Mira and she's like, my culture has been appropriated. And I'm like, that's a really interesting way to think about it. Um, I see what she's trying to say, though, that she feels like her, like what she knows to be sort of her roots and, and that counterculture is now being um, 
co-opted in order to sell a bunch of legal drugs to a bunch of people who really look down on what the roots that it came from, the roots that this product came from. And so she feels like that's, that feels bad. And I get that, you know, I get that kind of. Do you think that that is is sort of like the inevitable outcome of a capitalist system, like getting its grip into something that before was just more of like a counterculture, sort of like almost spiritual vibe of like, this is, you know, our whole thing with pot and, you know, the co-opting filling, I think, is because all of a sudden there's like, quote unquote, soccer moms vaping who have nothing to do with counterculture. They're mainstream and they like products and they like to buy the products that they like that pink vape pen. Yeah, it's really that, cute. That all the soccer moms purse. have and they can all have them together. And like, it's like the newest thing to buy. And like, to me, like, I'm just like thinking like, okay, this is really just about... At the end Making of the day, money. Yeah, it's about money and it's about this, you know, thing that was really a cash economy black market thing of the people that's now, you know, capitalism, our country's system. And I'm not saying that like capitalism is horrible, but it has some interesting effects on culture. And I think that this is this is one of them. Well, yeah. I mean, it's almost like a double whammy because there are people who couldn't make money any other way. So they sold drugs. And now that is being taken from them <laughs> as well. And, you know, so it's, it's interesting. And in talking to one of our friends out in Oregon, I remember him saying that, you know, initially when the market opened up, you just had to be a resident of the state and you could open a business. And I don't know if that was vertically integrated. I don't, I think out there the rules were more relaxed and you could just, you could have a dispensary or you could grow or you could, you know, produce. And so I don't, I might be speaking out of turn here, but eventually whatever that rule was changed and you didn't even have to be a resident of the U.S. And so boom, all of a sudden these Canadian companies come in, buy up all these licenses, things shift, go over to the liquor board. There's tons of corruption and, Oh my God, it's a whole new landscape. Then it will like that was not the original intention. So things are changing really fast. It's not like this is just some thing that anyone can jump into. You've got to have money. You got to be organized. You got to have business sense. You need, you know, you need considerable capital and you need to also essentially be willing to get bought up at this point because of all the consolidation. So it's like it's total pay to play. And I don't know. I don't see a lot of social equity in these markets. Uh, Mira did tell us that um, it's the it's the largest industry in terms of like women, like female owners and founders, which is really interesting because we hear a lot about it being like white and male. <clears throat> but um, still, I don't know if those numbers really equal. Like it might be the most, still not enough. Though we have talked to some really incredible, powerful women who have made some big moves. In I mean. This world. I think that sounds like a pretty great idea to put um, women at the head of an industry because I think what would happen would be a little bit different and maybe it wouldn't go the way of some other industries that are marketing to young people because by and large, women don't really support that. You know, (laughs) gross generalization, but like, you know, it's, it's, um, there's more of, I think that that's just like a cultural difference. 
And well, anytime you bring a minority into power, they have more sympathy for other minorities. Yeah. So it makes sense in that in that sense. And also, <laughs> women are largely like in caregiving positions in this country, so they're going to be focusing on, on things that, while at the same time making money, they are also like helping people and not, you know, making like people who need help in a worse position. Again, gross generalization. Yes, gross. <laughs> I know yeah. some pretty cutthroat ladies. Out I know. There. <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and there's so many interesting things, even outside of sort of like corporate consolidation going on in terms of finance here. I mean, the fact that in most states you still can't even deposit money into banks because guess what, guys? It still is federally illegal. Right. And yeah, I mean, so it's a cash industry. It does get dangerous. We spoke to multiple, multiple people who are like, I have friends that are not only getting arrested, they're getting raped and they're getting killed because of this. And so that was alarming. Um, it's not the way I think about pot that those comments and yeah. yeah, I mean those comments and then the, the crazy tracts of land that are being bought up in South America to produce, you know, both hemp and weed, it, it starts to then sound a little bit like, <laughs> the movie drugs yeah, yeah like blow yeah. <laughs> yeah like the movie blow i mean yeah so um i don't know i mean it's just there's so much more going on here than i thought and yet there's tons of really interesting compelling and um unexpected people at the table it has really opened the door for this sort of melting pot of an industry in some sense or or a a tribe i guess some industry of, parts. Some of the stuff that you're saying like makes me think that I feel a little hopeless though in terms of like all the barriers to entry. You know, if there's these this level of um sort of enterprise going on at this point, then someone who's just like, I don't know, like I really love pot and I really love whatever and I want to start this little business, you know, that those Good two luck. things are apples and oranges. I know. On the other hand, you know, our country in recent dec in the recent decade, let's say, has seen a revival in like craft products and small businesses and small entrepreneurs. And so I know that there's interest in supporting small businesses. Totally. And that's what our friends in Oregon told us is happening out there. That it's it's more it's not that they have laws that support that. It's that it's just the consumer's mindset. And so they're still turning to smaller sort of craft, you know, quote, craft brewers, uh, growers, you know, producers. And yeah, I mean, I think that another thing we heard a lot is that people will, the the transition will be much quicker. Like if you look at prohibition and how long it took for legalization to come and then for the big companies to consolidate and then for it to break back down into what we see now, which is the craft beer is really cool and, and craft distilleries and the whole nine yards. Um, that is apparently looking like it's on a, you know, a million times fast tracked trajectory where, and maybe it even gets avoided in some places altogether, you know, like Oregon, I don't know, but that's up to us as consumers, you know, that's up to the public. I mean, I look at this and even before we really got into the weeds, so to speak on this, I was like, what's scariest is, is the money coming in and the way that, um, big business is just like taking the reins, but, and the way that it just harkens back to like farm, like our food system and our medical system, you know, and our insurance system and our finance system. Like it's just, we're doing it again. It's a big repeat of the way capitalism in its exploited form 
currently like takes things down and takes the people down and concentrates money and wealth at the top. But couldn't we just be a little smarter and avoid that this time? You know, and that, that sounds like financial regulation to me. That sounds like banking laws around cannabis. That sounds like a bunch of other log- laws that aren't actually drug laws. And so again, that's where I was like, Kevin's making a lot of sense here. You know, he's talking about the Koch brothers. I know he's looking at in. cannabis, but he's talking about stuff that systems, know, yes, affects yes. our society in, in a way more broad Because he's a policy yeah. guy. Yeah. 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 So that was really interesting. I mean, I think that, you know, our listeners will probably, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are like, you're going to go with the anti-voice first. Like, I know. what the hell? <laughs> you know, and might like unfollow, unlike whatever. But I think for people who hang in there and, you know, gave that a listen, um, it's pretty interesting. It's a good place to start because things only get darker from here before they get light again. I mean, I, I am glad that we started with him because he actually was probably the most transformative guest for me personally. And I know we've talked about this and um, share some feelings about it, but just sort of him breaking down the difference between being pro-legalization and pro-decriminalization and how that's not something that a lot of people think about. Um, It certainly wasn't something that I drew a big discrepancy between. And now that I do know that it's a different thing, um, and that you could decriminalize without legalizing and legalizing also means, you know, that there's this sort of already happening, this corporate takeover, that that's sort of how that's going to go. It does make me question whether I'm pro-legalization. I'm like, I can't say definitively if that's my position. I'm still kind of figuring it out, but I definitely, um, pro-decriminalization. Well, and even making a sweeping statement like that, it's like, you could say you're pro-legalization, but what does that mean? Because it's the way that it's implemented at the end of the day that matters. So we could, we could choose either or, right? We could decriminalize or legalize across the board. Say on a federal level, we chose to do one or the other. We could do both without addressing incarceration, without addressing the social equity involved here. So, like, maybe it would provide a little bit more social equity moving forward, but what about all the people already in jail for selling something that's now legal well, or not illegal? Well, that just seems illegal, to me you know? crazy. Like, that, that's like right. a no-brainer. so that is a yeah. huge other conversation. But, but those are really intricate, um, time-consuming, tedious laws that municipalities and states and our country would have to implement and deal with. And so that's why Illinois is so interesting, because they're letting— I forget what the number is, but like thousands of people out of jail with their, their, um, adult use legalization bill that just passed. So it's good. That's like basically the first testing ground. There's no model for this. So that's something for anyone who cares to keep an eye on and watch. How does that go down? How do these people reenter society? What is it like? Like, is there any real justice on the other side of just being let out? What is it going to do to communities? What is it going to do to families? You know, is it going to be good? Is it going to be uncomfortable? Probably. You know, I don't, I don't know what this looks like. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of relief and a lot of, um, also like angst to work through because that's, 
But imagine, it, it, I mean, imagine being let out of jail after what, 10, 15, 20 plus years into a world that you hardly recognize where the thing you went to prison for is now legal. And yet you still have this record. Like, I don't know what the record expungement stuff looks like. You know, how, like when you go to get a new job, can they tell? They can definitely tell you haven't had a job in 20 fucking years. So I don't know. I mean, I just think that how we execute all of this is really what's important. It's it's less about like the big decision and more about the execution. And yet all you hear and all the sound bites are about the, you know, the big decision. So I don't know. It's so tough. And again, I mean, this is I, media, I th- right? Yeah. I think what you're saying is like, it's no matter what happens, it's going to be really complicated. Yeah. And like, you know, listening to you, part of me is like, yes, that is true. Like there could be all of these messed up experiences that people have on the other end, but then what's the alternative to stay in jail? Right. But it's just, I'm just saying it's like not enough. I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't let people out of jail. I'm saying that right. we should and, you know, and there's a lot, there's a big lack of and <laughs> in our country when we make these sweeping decisions, because you know what? People don't get elected on and then they get elected on the big showboaty decision. And also, you know, the and isn't an econ- it's not like an economically driven thing, right? It should be, but it's not, you know, like caring for people that need help in that, in that way is not something that's like at the top of people's agenda. And yet, well, okay. What you're saying though is making me think of, um, this in a little bit, uh, brighter sense. Like I'm thinking back to Trey from season one and thinking about how a lot of this stuff is hammered out at the state level. And so maybe it's good that this is happening in more of like a state's rights fashion and not at the federal level because states do have opportunities now to set standards and examples and hammer out the nitty gritty and do great things, also make some big mistakes, I'm sure. And yet, hopefully, at the end of the day, we can pass some kind of federal law that actually makes sense, actually helps people. Everyone's still going to make a ton of money. (laughs) Well, at least certain people are still going to make a ton of money, but let's hope that everyone else involved can find a little equity too. And we can get high. And without we can getting get in trouble. as high as we want without getting arrested. <laughs> but not driving a car. No, never. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> On that note. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me As I went walking That ribbon of highway I saw above me That endless skyway I saw below me That golden valley This land was made for you and me This episode of The Multiverse was produced by Katie Wilson and Caitlin Scholl with editing and sound design by Ian Carlson and mix mastered by Chris Burns. Theme music is America by artist Bill Callahan. This Land is Your Land rendition by Robert and Thief. Playlists for this podcast can be found at www.the-multiverse.com where you can also find more information about us, 
collaborating artists, and new episodes of this podcast. And again, thanks for listening. Hey guys.